everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, Discovery Church. It is good to see you. It's a family service today. We're excited to have those of you who are not usually up here but are downstairs. I'm glad you're here for this part today. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, does he always come out with a roll of toilet paper? Um, The answer is no, but because it was a family service today, I thought, you know, we could have a little bit of fun, right? A little more fun than normal because there's kids in the house. So uh, I thought we could maybe start with a magic trick. Would you like to see a magic trick? Okay, now here's, you need to know a couple things. First, uh, I'm not a magician, okay? So this might not be the best magic trick you've ever seen, but it will be a magic trick. The second thing you need to know is that if you're not a very good magician, the one thing that can take you there, I mean the immediate, like, that just took it up to a whole other level, is if you have some really good music. Can I, can I get just anything you want, Cody? Can I just get any kind of music to do some magic to? Oh, okay. Okay, so Cody's feeling it. Cody's feeling it. All right, here we go. Are you ready for this? Normal roll of toilet paper, nothing crazy. All right, you ready? You guys, some interaction, please. Thank you, thank you. Okay, okay. Now, now, nothing crazy. Okay, ready? I know, I know. Now, now what we need to do is we need to crumple this up. We need to crumple it up tight. No, that keep it up. Keep it up. Here we go. You ready? Okay, now, the magic trick is this. If we've done our job, just even blowing on it allowed me to put it back together in my hand. And we're going to see if we did the magic trick. There it is. There it is. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Now, I'm not a magician. You can cut it. (laughs) Um, It was so much fun. I learned that last night. I got to practice that for my son, Deacon, who the whole time was just staring at me. We finished, and he goes, I totally know how you did that. Every adult that I did it with, I would walk up and I'd say, I'm gonna, I'm, you want to see a magic trick? And they'd look at my hands right away, right? Like, there's something about magic that's so fun, especially in a room where we're all different ages, because I hope, and I don't know if I did a good job or not, but I hope if you're a kid, there's something in you that you're going, how did he do that? Like, that's amazing. And I'm going to assume, for those of us who are a little bit further along, maybe a little more jaded or cynical, there's a sense kind of like Deacon, if you're going... I totally know how I did that. Like it's, magic does weird things to us. And it's really fun. They, they've started, there's a whole science of magic, a psychology of magic that people have started studying. The University of London has actually published the most on this. And they start their studies by going, magic for the human brain really starts when parents are playing peekaboo with their babies. Because the, uh, an infant brain cannot process the fact that if your face was there and now is no longer there, it has vanished. Like, and, and there's a fun, that our, our brains become playful because we start asking the question, what happened? 
What, what am I supposed to do with that? And for a baby to have your face vanish and then suddenly re- reappear is like, I, I don't understand how this is happening, but I love this interaction. And even as we get older and a little bit more cynical, looking for the hand motions, there's still something in us of going, how is this working? Like our brains love to solve problems like this. And then when we start to look at the world of spirituality, I would posit that everything is a lateral step over. That places where maybe when we were younger, we would see Jesus, or we would see stories in the Bible of doing something where we would go, wow. But the older we get, there's places in our own hearts and souls, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, where when you hear stories about Jesus, there's something in you that kind of goes, what are his hands doing? What's really going on? This is not simply magic. This is explainable. And I, I think that's a helpful way to, to just think about the, the couple stories that we're going to be getting into today in our text. We're in this series on Matthew. Today we're in Matthew chapter 14. So if you brought your Bibles, you can turn there now or you can pull out your phone and head there. Uh, it's careful what you read right out of the gate. Chapter 14 starts with some light incest, a beheading, some things that generally fall under the explicit filter. We're not going to be getting into those stories today, but suffice it to say, John the Baptist is no longer with us in the book of Matthew. John the Baptist has died. And that's actually a really important, um, I don't say that for shock factor, that is an incredibly important detail for everything around the context of what we're looking at today. Jesus' cousin, John, who had been doing the same kind of ministry, had been preaching the same kind of sermons that Jesus had been praying, is gone now. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. If you've been to church before, if you've not been to church before, these are probably stories that you're familiar with. These are magic tricks that you've seen before. And my question for you today is what's going on behind the trick? What's Jesus actually doing? And that's what we're going to discover. Chapter 14, verse 13, it goes like this. Now, when Jesus heard this, and this is the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, had died. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But the crowds heard it, and so they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples, his students, came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Okay, if you're a kid or if you can remember your like middle school or high school or elementary school lunchroom, can you get that picture in your head? Okay, some of you are like, PTSD, bro. Why do you have to do that? I want you to imagine that you just walked into that lunchroom. It's the crowded you ever have seen it. You have a Lunchable in your hand when all of a sudden Jesus strides up next to you and says, hey, will you just use that and feed everybody here? Like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, that's, that's not possible, Jesus. And we see a little twinkle in Jesus' eye because he's up to something here. The trick has begun. What is going on here? Now, there's some things that we need to know before we read too much further. Um, The first thing is that Jesus is a rabbi. And a rabbi is really just a fancy word. There's a culture of Jewish people, and rabbis are what they called their teachers. And their teachers back in Jesus' time taught much differently than they teach today. 
One of the things that you would see with rabbis is that their students would mimic everything that they would do. So I mentioned this several weeks ago, but there's stories of old rabbis, like very old, and they'd be limping through town, and all of their students would be walking behind them. But if you were a student of a rabbi, you would do everything your rabbi did. So if your rabbi was limping through town, even if you're like young and healthy and can walk fine, you're limping through town. That's, there's stories, this, this was hilarious. I read a story this week about a rabbi at an airport in New York, and he had to go to the bathroom in the airport, and so all of his students also went into the bathroom all at the same time. Like, there's this sense of whatever you see your teacher doing, you do it. Like, that, that is your job as a student. The reason why you're in class with that particular teacher, you don't want to just know what they know. You want to become like them. That was the point, not just for Jesus as a rabbi, but every rabbi that existed. I want to be just like them. So, the other thing you need to know is that the only way you could become the student of a rabbi is if you applied, you would ask, can I follow you? And, if, and the rabbi would take some time, it would usually be a couple days, and he would really be considering this question. Do I think that you could be like me someday? And if the answer is no, you may not be my student. But if I think that you could be like me someday, yes, come and follow me. So now we're going to bring all of that into this story. Jesus is this rabbi. People are coming from all over the place. He's been teaching. It's been phenomenal. He's been curing diseases. Not a normal thing for most rabbis. It's phenomenal. And now all of a sudden, they're walking into a packed lunchroom with one Lunchable, and Jesus says, feed everybody. And it it just does not compute for the disciples. So if we keep reading the story, here's now how it continues. He said to them in verse 18, Bring them here to me, the the loaves and the two fish. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate, and they were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children." Now, they counted things kind of funny back in the day. So really what you can imagine, if there's 5,000 men there, let's just assume there's equally 5,000 women. Let's just say everybody brought one. There's at least 15,000 people hanging out on the side of this mountain. They've got a couple fish, a couple pieces of bread, and Jesus says, go feed everybody. (laughs) What's going on in this story? I think if you're somebody who's new to church, if you're checking out the claims of Jesus, this, I, I would assume, and I think I feel this way sometimes too, this is one of those stories that people say you might hear about it, they just gloss over and it's like, check reason at the door. Just, it's a miracle. Like, don't ask questions about it. It's just a miracle. Keep moving. And I, I think it deserves some time to go, what's actually going on here? Because this is a miracle. There's no doubt about it. But why? Like, how are we supposed to understand what's going on? And I think one of the themes that we're going to see in the two stories we're going to look at today is Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's looking at these students of his, and he's saying, look, I chose you to begin with because I think that you can be like me someday. So class is in session. Pay attention to what I'm going to do. And then Jesus puts out a lesson. And I don't know if you caught it, but if you just look at the steps of what Jesus does here, he does this. 
He sees a physical problem. He looks to God. He trusts that God will provide. Then he takes action. Heaven breaks through and the physical world is changed. That's the lesson of the day. It's remarkable. And you might be like, okay, great, that sounds kind of funny, but if that's just something that Jesus is teaching them to do, is this now like part of the program? Like if you follow Jesus, you just walk around throwing out bread at everybody you meet. Like is that, is that the point? To which I would say, absolutely not. One more time, actually in the next chapter, chapter 15, we're gonna see Jesus feed one other crowd of people with the disciples. And then after that, do you know how many times we're gonna see um, people multiplying food in the Bible? It's not much. Not much at all. The point of this story is not how to Martha Stewart the heck out of a Lunchable. There's something more going on underneath the surface. And I think actually, if we look at the next story, that starts to come into pretty clear focus. So if we keep reading literally the next verse, this is now what happens. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead to the other side of the lake. And while he dismissed the crowds, uh, while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray, which I just want to pause there for a second. I love that Jesus buys what he's selling. He's, he's really saying, look, you, there has to be a trust that you, that you establish with God, that God's going to show up and do stuff. That doesn't just happen. Trust is established in every relationship that we have because we spend time and we know the character of the other. Just saying, look, I'm a little zapped. It's been a long day. I've been healing a lot of people. We just made a whole lot of food. I'm going to go take some time with dad. I just need some time by myself. So awesome. He continues. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. That's one of those whiplash verses of like, oh, didn't expect that. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. (laughs) What on earth is going on? Again, is this one of those things where you just check reason at the door, or is there more going on in the story? There's um, a couple more things I want you to know about this part before we keep reading to what happens next. The Sea of Galilee is about 141 feet deep at its deepest parts. So if you can picture a 14-story building, that's how much water we have Jesus walking on right now. So this is not like somebody threw some water on a hard surface and just glided across. This is like, it's deep. It is deep enough for a miracle. That's one thing to know. The other thing to know is that if you're Jewish, and that's the whole culture that this story is written in and to, the Sea of Galilee, the sea, bodies of water are not just lakes. It's not, that's not all that's implied here. In so many of the surrounding cultures, their origin stories, how is the world made, including Genesis, starts with an idea that there was chaos at the beginning of all things and that God reached into that chaos and he pulled out order. And if you're really gonna get nitty gritty about the details, chaos is water. Any culture at this time would look at bodies of water. The larger, the more they would see it, and this is the largest body of water around, and they would go, that does not just represent H2O. That lake represents chaos. 
That lake represents death itself. That lake represents the disorder of the world. And so if you're in, in the first century and you're reading this story about this Jesus, you're not just going, oh, his feet got wet. You're also going, he is above death. He is above the chaos. He is above the disorder. He transcends that. That is part of the miracle that's going on here, and it's mind-boggling. And now, for really the first time, we're going to see one of these students of Jesus stand out like a sore thumb. It's a guy named Peter. And if you've ever heard about Peter, I think Peter generally gets a pretty bad rap. And today we're going to see why he really shouldn't. Peter's awesome. And this is what happens. Jesus is out, taking a stroll in the water, a little crazy outside with the weather. All these disciples, these students of Jesus are in the boat, eyes like goggles. Like they cannot believe what they're seeing. They're freaking out. They look out and then Peter says this, verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. This is a really good student. If you're supposed to, if your rabbi is limping and you're supposed to limp, if your rabbi goes into the bathroom and you follow him into the bathroom, if your rabbi is walking on water, where are you supposed to be? You better be out on the water. And Peter, in a crowded boat of his best friends, is the only one who has the guts to say, I see a physical problem because I'm supposed to be where you are and I am not, but I don't know how to get there. And then he looks to heaven and he says, will you fix this? I trust that you can do something about this problem. Peter then starts walking on water. I would love, this is one of those scenes of the Bible. I would just love to have like the real, if somebody just had a, a camera, an iPhone, like wow, how did this look? Because I think that as he's letting go of the boat, like he's like testing the water a little bit first, right? As soon as he lets go, the sound that like grown man makes when he's elated, you know, it's like, you know, he's super macho, he's a fisherman, guaranteed. He's like, ah! like, I can't, this, it's happening. And then he looks out at Jesus, his rabbi, his teacher. I'm supposed to be like you. I'm supposed to be right behind you where you are. And he takes his first step and it, yeah! And he just can't, like, he just cannot believe what's happening. Like what he is supposed to be about, he is becoming. It's, this is a beautiful, gorgeous story. And I, I want to highlight again What's going on in this story? Because Jesus had just taught a lesson, and if we could go back and look at the steps of the lesson when he fed everybody, here's what Jesus' teaching was that day. See a physical problem. Look to God. Trust that he will provide. Take action. Heaven breaks through. The physical world changes. And now we have Peter seeing a physical problem, looking right at Jesus, trusting that if he walks towards him, he's going to provide. And this, this is the part I think that's the most challenging to me and I think the most challenging to us in our world today because it is one thing to believe that God's out there or to think that there's something. I mean, even if you're agnostic, there's this sense of like, yeah, something's going on out there. It is an entirely different thing when the reality that God is there causes you to change how you act. This is the crux of the whole story because he lets go of the boat. He shrieks and he starts walking. And then heaven broke through. And I, I love this because it's not just for Peter, although it's for Peter. 
I mean, what's going on? His heart and his soul must have just been exploding. I am walking on water towards my Jesus. But it's not just Peter. It's every dude in the boat who didn't have the guts to say what Peter said, who's watching him too, going, that fool's walking on water. Like, this should not be happening right now. I am now realizing I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I should be out there. It's not just for you that heaven breaks through for. It's for anybody in the blast radius. So, this is a story I think where oftentimes people are like, ah, oh, Peter, like he's so crazy. He's like, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. I would say, actually, no, Peter today, he's the best student in class. And I think as he's getting back in the boat, sorry, we should finish reading the story. I get so excited. I love this story. So Peter got out of the boat. He started walking on the water and he came towards Jesus, verse 30. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? And he got into the boat and the wind ceased and those of the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, this is the son of God. Oh, it's a funny interaction though, right? Lord, save me. He cries out. I mean, he knows exactly who his bread and butter is in this story. When he gets back in the boat, he's drenched. I mean, he's at least waist down, just dripping with water. And I think most people would look at that and go, okay, you probably got an F on your pop quiz today. Jesus taught a lesson. You got invited in the lesson. You didn't do that great. I think Peter's getting the boat going, got a B plus. <laughs> Y'all got Fs, you know? Like that, there's, there's something to this of Peter's obedience is just glaring. But it's, it's this encounter, this conver- brief conversation that they have in the midst of the water that I find also compelling. He cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and he catches him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's weird, right? It, little faith, like first off, he's out the boat. Like there's not a lot of little faith. But what does he have little faith in? Because the next, the the thing that he said is, Lord, save me. Like, he has no doubt that Jesus is Jesus. Like, Jesus is the one who can save them, him in the circumstance that he's in. Why would that doubt be little? What is he doubting? And I think when you sit with the story for a while, it really starts to become clear what Peter doubts is his ability to follow Jesus. Peter does not believe in Jesus' belief in him. From the first encounter that, we ha- that they had on the shore, when Jesus was walking along one day as a rabbi, and he said to Peter, hey, come follow me. I want to make you a fisher of men. In that moment, Jesus was declaring over this student of his, I believe that someday you can be like me. Now, I want to be super clear, because this can get really weird really fast. I am not saying that Jesus is walking around going, you're the Messiah, and you're the Messiah. Like, we're all going to save the world. No. It's so clear. Jesus is the rabbi. He is the Messiah. He is the only one that will save the world. But in the things that he does, in the ways that he acts from that very first moment on the shore, he's always looked at Peter with a set of eyes They said, you can be just like me. You got this. And in this moment, as he is now waist deep in the water, getting lower by the second, Peter has forgotten that Jesus believes that about him, and he has forgotten that he should believe that about himself. He is actually capable of following Jesus. He can do it, and he forgot. 
and Jesus calls him out. And I don't think, I think it's so easy for us in our context today without knowing how rabbis work to read this and go, oh, he's just bagging on Peter. You little faith. I think it's a reminder, like class is still in session. You're still invited to follow me. Get in. Let's keep going. I think the timing of these stories is incredibly important too. As I mentioned at the beginning, John the Baptist has just been killed for doing the same ministry that Jesus is doing. And I think for Jesus, it was, it was a moment strategically where he went, I need to make sure that my students know how to receive the baton that I'm going to be passing them because I'm not gonna be here forever and they need to know that they can do this. And I think there's a sense in this story for us today as we're receiving the baton of Matthew 14 that Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's going, I believe that you can do this. Do you have a belief in Jesus' belief in you? That's the invitation of Matthew 14. He knows Jesus, that he's about to be killed, and he wants the ministry to continue. So, can you do this? If you've been tracking with us through the book of Matthew, we've hit up a lot of different things. Just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, we've talked about love your enemies. That's crazy. Can you actually do that? There are felt experiences in life. Kids, so many of you started your first week of school this week. For some of you, you're back at a school and back with friends that you've been at this entire time, and you are watching that new kid come in and not have friends to sit with in the lunchroom. You have what it takes to invite them to be your friend too. Some of you are that kid that you're walking into a classroom or to a lunchroom and you're going, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to be with. Jesus is right there with you. Some of you parents are in a season of parenting where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. But the comfort comes with the thought that God gave you these kids and if he gave you these kids, he believes that you can parent them. And it's oversimplifying it to go, you can do this. Because that's not the lesson that Jesus spoke. The lesson was this. When you see physical problems, you look to God. You trust that he will provide, and then you take action. When you do that, heaven breaks through, and the physical world changes. I'm gonna welcome out the band, but I think it's the most important thing in this story to remember that he is where your help comes from. And even more than that, he is the one that you're seeking to catch up to where he is. It's one thing to spot physical problems in the world like, oh, I need a bigger house. Oh, I need a Ferrari. Like those, <laughs> you're not the one who gets to set the tone on what your physical needs are and the problems that you see. However, as you follow this Jesus, as you encounter him in life, as you see what he's doing in the world around and through the church which he loves, you're invited, whether you, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, to be somebody who sees these stories and then sees that the point of these stories is that Jesus, we'll find by the end of Matthew, is looking at every single person in the world saying, I think you have what it takes to do this. I'm looking at a broken world and you're the ones who I think can help put it back together. Look to me. 
Join me in where I am. Join me in doing what I'm doing. And together, as a walking classroom, the world will be made whole again. We're going to spend some time in worship. But as we do this, just remembering the lesson that Jesus taught here, I think my questions for you would be, what are the problems that you see in the world around you? Where are you looking for the solution? Do you trust that he wants to use you to be a part of putting it back together? For those who are able, let's stand and let's sing.